Welcome to Nerds of the Roundtable, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Jamie. And I'm Dwayne. And on this hold, episode... Hold, 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 hold it in a second, Jamie. Who is this guy here? Hello, gentlemen. Where did you find this guy? I thought he was your friend. He's not? He's not your friend? Well... I'm not for sure. I've just decided to kind of show up, didn't I, gentlemen? Now, on this on this episode, we have our first guest. Sammy's with us. Say hi, hello, Sammy. Hello, hello, hello. Sammy Maynard is my name. Uh, very pleased to be invited to uh, join this round table. I was wondering when the nighting ceremony would be. Um, you know, I, I need that Sir Sammy at the beginning to give me a little bit of a little bit more credibility, please. When, when we get there, we'll let you know. Oh, awesome, awesome. Well, at this point, you're a page. We'll see if you make it all the way up to Nerd with a K. So oh, we'll, okay. We'll all right, awesome, we'll awesome. But uh, <laughs> on, the, on this episode, Sammy pitched us a fantastic idea. We're going to cover The Hobbit today. And we are primarily going to be discussing the the novel, The Hobbit. Now, we're going yes. to we're we're bring in some of the adaptations, um, audiobook uh, dramatizations, that kind of thing, and um, some movies I've heard of. And... Um, but uh, but we're gonna we're gonna stick primarily begin mostly with talking about the the novel and Sammy being our not only our guest on this episode our first guest ever yes we'd like for you to begin what are your opening thoughts in grade all right opening thoughts as far as grade you know as as a book itself the Hobbit is nostalgic to me as an important book in fantasy lore uh, so ob- obviously right off the bat I was thinking oh this is easily a ten out of ten but after rereading it. Um, and being a little bit more critical, I dropped it to about a nine out of ten. Uh, so I have some issues, so and which we will discuss. Oh, okay. Now, um, now, no, this is. I don't know how much we want to get into everybody's background on the show. Sammy's a teacher. We tend to give letter grades on the show. We, we pretend yes, we're teachers. Yes. What would you do? With that? How would you give that as a letter grade? Uh, if I was giving this a letter grade, I would probably go an A minus. I would go an A minus. Okay. Wow. So ninety percent A minus. Yes, I go A minus. Dwayne, what do you what do you got, man? Um, I'm going to give this book an A plus. Now, as far as literature goes, this was my introduction into fantasy literature. This was my graduation from comics. This is so I laid down Iron Man and X Men, about sixteen, fifteen and a half years old. Picked up The Hobbit and was like, wow, just just took me to a whole other dimension so this book is is of course i mean in many people's eyes a classic but in my own as far as opening my eyes to a wider world it, it really brought me there oh wow jamie i've yours? never been the negative nelly oh no <laughs> <laughs> um i'm gonna be the lowest grade this time it's a oh b my. plus on this one b plus, wow um this is my um my time my favorite childhood book but um Reading it again now um, with, um, and I don't know if, I don't think we mentioned on the show yet, um, I, my biggest hobby is writing. I love to write fiction. And as, as of now reading this with the eyes of a writer, thinking about story structure and character development and character arcs kind of thing, uh, there were points in this reading this thing I got really frustrated and, and so um, and you can kind of you can kind of tell that Tolkien's a linguist. You know who's you know who's you know writing a novel you know, but but, but isn't, that isn't primarily his strong suit, and they, and it kind of tails at times. And so there's a few spots where I got kind of frustrated with him. You know, I'm like, why are we doing things the way we're doing things here? This is not good story structure. What are we doing? And so, 
so yeah, but it's still a good book, and it's and for you know it's a book he wrote for a younger audience, and so for knowing what it was for, it's still a good book. B plus is still a good grade, but now I know you said you know <sighs> Tolkien's primarily a linguist, so if if you've watched the uh, you know any documentaries or read very much about him, he pretty much developed the elven languages. The 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 kind of made up a story for the languages you already invented. And kind of made a history to where the yeah. languages would fit in, which kind of wild. I think is where a lot of world building is lacking today. Is you just get a group of really cool characters or neat events, and there's really no underlying undergirdment to them. They just kind of exist and float. Now, where Tolkien, um, you know. If you if you listen to the stories, he started the Hobbit in you know the trenches of World War One, took that into his teachings at Oxford, uh, carried through and actually wrote them primarily for his children when they were younger. I think his son Christopher actually gave him book reports on chapters as as he was writing it. If you if you got that deep into it, okay, I'm gonna like just completely geek out some here, but. Uh, this is where I mean I think the nerds is in the title. The nerds, okay, right. and I just it, think it, we're you're going allowed to, to geek <laughs> out. The history and the surroundingness that makes the story so rich is is what's so important here. It's so lacking in a lot of the movies of today. Um, you know, the Cimmerillion, you know, was developed for this. For the Lord of the Rings, you know, he took little bits of that mythology and where they would be today. You know, it was a, uh, I mean, just really rich in world building. Yeah, you're not wrong, and I, I think that he really sort of set a precedent. That was one of the big shifts in fantasy after Tolkien is 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 that intense world building, and um, and it's I think it's really unique to the uh, to the genre of fantasy in, in ways that it's not in like science fiction and. And a certain other form, other genres that you know, world building is it's just crucial to to fantasy after Tolkien. Well, you know, Dwayne, you mentioned the Cimmerillion, and you know, the Cimmerillion covers the first and second ages of Middle Earth, yes. and so you get a very <laughs> um, interesting kind of collection of almost mythology, mm-hmm. but it has a very um, Judeo-Christian kind of. Uh, through line when you start looking at how Middle Earth was created and elves being the first born and you start getting into this whole situation and how the Dark Lord, you know, before Sauron, you know, in Lord of the Rings actually starts with Melkor. And so you get that whole history to add to this. And, you know, considering The Hobbit was published in 37, uh, it was 77 before... Uh, the Cimmerillion was finished and published, and that was posthumously. Christopher yeah. Tolkien finished up the Cimmerillion um, to to bring that that more about Middle Earth. Well, I would have loved to see those notebooks. And, and you see why why we wanted Sammy on the show? Yeah, yes. that, that was, I, I knew he, he's he's moving up from page to squire very quickly. My, my my book of notes here. <laughs> Well, um, we've already gotten into pretty, uh, pretty, pretty great detail already. And we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to dig deeper into The Hobbit. And welcome back. Sam, are you still with us? I'm right here, sir. All right. Our squire is still with us. 
And uh, we're going to begin now by digging into the, the positives of all, the things that work, the things we liked. And once again, Sammy, you're our guest. Would you like to go first? What, what would be your opening idea here, your, your positive thought? All right. Uh, you know, I think the positive with, it, with this book is, you know, Tolkien's writing style itself. Uh, especially within chapter one, just at the beginning, you feel more like he's a storyteller than a narrator telling you the events. Uh, the little asides that he places in, you know, I love especially the one where he's talking about uh, Bilbo's parents. And he's like, oh, yes, Bungo Baggins created this beautiful home with most of Belladonna's money. You know, I love those little asides. To me, that was like Tolkien was talking directly to me. You know, and that that beautiful, rich language and description, you know, that's through the whole book really started right there at the beginning with even the describing of what a hobbit hole is. You know, I love that first paragraph. Yeah, it's really good. And um, and I agree. I mean, his, his writing style is really good. And like, like I said, I've got I've got big picture problems with story structure. Same but here. It, but, it, but in terms of his prose. And those little quirky asides, like I like when he talks about how they invented golf and stuff like that. You know, it's just they're just really clever and engaging. You know, yeah, it's just all the little things. And I had completely forgotten uh, because it'd been a while since I have read the book or even an in-depth audio adaptation um, of you know Bilbo's parents and actually what a hobbit hole is. That it's a hole in the side of a hill, but it's not a dirty muddy thing. It's you know it's 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 you know tiled. It's walled. It's a, a full, you know, home inside this hill. And, you know, just like you were talking about the language, the prose, you know, Tolkien's focus on language really gives each character a unique voice as far as, you know, uh, the the different types of speech that each one in, in uses. Um, you know, the, uh, the elves, the hobbits, the, you know, the dwarves, you know, the rough speak. Yeah. And I, I felt like that, that along those lines, it felt like each race had its own voice. Um, whereas you don't get individual character voices until Lord of the Rings, really. Like a lot of the – I can't tell one dwarf from another. Yeah. But the dwarves had a feel that was different than the elves mm-hmm. and then the other, other characters. So, I mean, there, there was that kind of really you know, different voice feel to it that was good too. Well, you know, I think with the exception of Thorin and I think it was Balin, yeah. you know, we really don't get a whole lot of – and and then uh, Bomber. You know, Keely just, and just, Keely are young. Yeah. And Owen and Glowin are good at like starting yeah. fires. And, I mean, and, that's all the character right. development we get. You know, and we get, you know, Bomber's kind of overweight and doesn't really want to do a whole lot. There's you a know? lot of fun. <laughs> Fat shaming in this book. <laughs> there, there, there is. I, I felt bad for Bomber. Okay, I did. <laughs> well, do, yeah. do I anything? What, what do you want to bring up in our positives? Uh, the thing I would like to bring up is how uh, you know, like us going back to even the language and the history that he had developed. I mean, he had even went so far. Myself being a musician, uh, the the folklorish songs and things that are sprinkled throughout, uh, you know, really uh, bring forth the mythology. Um, I think it's really neat, too, of how reluctant Bilbo was to go on the quest and how insistent that Gandalf was and the uh, dwarves, once they got there, you know, they just kind of plopped in, set up shop. It's like, okay, you're heading with us in the morning. And uh, they have this big feast, and Bilbo's all flustered trying to clean up and feed everyone, being the hospitable hobbit. And, uh, you know, even uh, in the book, when uh, him and Gandalf were having their interchange, good day, 
Are you saying it's a good day or are you wishing me a good day? Yeah. I mean, is this a question or an expletive? You know, is it a, uh, yeah. you know, it, just so many little things like that are so. I smiled the whole time the, I was oh, reading that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that just, that just brings, brings a smile to your face. And then, you know, them trying to find out what Bilbo's good at. You know, is he a pickpocket? Is he a thief? Well, I'm an honorable hobbit, you know. So, <laughs> it, you know, just yeah. that whole adventure um, is really one of the strengths of this movie. I mean, or I mean not the movie, but the book. We'll get into the movies later. <laughs> but the, the book being, um, you know, the adventures and how they're not so fantastical. I mean, you are sleeping on a rock. You are going hungry. You are trekking through the woods. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of people overlook with Tolkien's time in World War One. You know, glorifying the action he does not. Now, he's been there. He's done the real thing. Well, uh, the, the main positive that I wanted to bring up is just the character of Bilbo himself. Um, I, th- I think this, for me, Bilbo is the real strong, the, the, the strongest aspect of the, of the whole novel. Um, he's this just super relatable character. I mean, he's this, he's this combination of person who's really comfortable with his civilized life, but has that little part of him that still longs for adventure. I mean, a lot of us can relate to that. You know, we, we really like, you know, our comfortable lives, but. Some adventure wouldn't hurt either, you know. It's just that little thing we're hungry for. And how all the other hobbits talk about how strange he is that uh, he yeah. kind of craves a bit of adventure from. Time but there's to time. also by the by the time we get to the end of of, of the uh, of the novel, and we we get that sort of inspirational theme from Bilbo, like he's just this ordinary hobbit, as ordinary as you can get, and he's accomplished all these great things. It's inspiring too, right? Because a lot of times we feel ordinary, and average, and just run of the mill people, and you know. You know, we can smile. I mean, maybe if, if if Bilbo, this chubby hobbit, can go do amazing things, and maybe maybe I can do something with my life. You know, it's just this really inspiring, relatable character. Okay, uh, Jamie and Sam, why don't we take the book? Uh, let's break it into a couple of sections right now, because I want to get your guys' thoughts on a few of the sections. So let's maybe break this book into thirds. So let's say the first section would be Bilbo meeting the elves and leaving, and winding up with the. Trolls. Um, was it the trolls? The I think it was trolls first, wasn't it? Right. Yes. So yeah. he he right, so he meets with the elves. I mean, with the uh, dwarves. They leave and they run into the trolls. Okay. So what's what's uh, some of your peaks of this section of the book, uh, Sammy? Uh, well, you know, I think as far as this that section there, you know, the first chapter, like I said, just introducing and getting a feel for, for who this character is because he is our eyes into this world. You know, Bilbo is us, and I like how Jamie brought that up. Uh, you know, I like that Jamie used that word comfortable or, because if you look at that first chapter and you look at how many times the word comfort and comfortable are used to describe Bilbo, you know, it makes him just your everyday everyday ordinary type of, of person, you know, and, and I love that about it. Uh, you know, other parts, a, as you go through, you know, you with each thing that, that that this little band goes through, you know, even the dwarves are very much like us, you know, oh, it's great when everything works out, but then as soon as it doesn't, we're all grumbling and complaining and blaming, it's, it's your oh, fault, it's your fault. Rah, 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 rah. Yeah, you know, it's that kind of thing. So, so <laughs> grumble, I really grumble, found grumble. that. 
that interesting how they kind of brought all that in, you know, and when you get to the trolls, the thing that always cracks me up with these trolls, right? You've got all these characters, Thorin and Baggins and Gandalf, and then you've got Bill, Tom, and, and <laughs> or say Bert, Tom, yeah. and William. You know, you've got these so these very ordinary names yeah. that have now been given to these trolls. Uh, you know, and that, that part just always cracks me up every time I read it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, there's quirky stuff in here. Yeah, you know? definitely. There's a lot of quirky stuff. And, I, and I, if you want to, you didn't ask me, but I'm going to volunteer anyway. Um, I was heading to you next. But um, but I, I just I like I like how just Gandalf has this weird attitude about him. He just likes needling people, mm-hmm. like the whole like the whole Good Morning scene with Bilbo. He just he's needling the guy, you know. And even when he's you know goes to mess with the trolls, he doesn't just like blast them. He doesn't freeze them and just wait for the sun to come out. He taunts him and gets him to fight mm-hmm. each other. There's this weird attitude that Gandalf has that I just I love. It, it, it just, I enjoy it so much. Did Did anybody pick up on on the little nod to uh, the dwarves of the north and making toys? No, no. <laughs> There's a little piece in there that they're talking about the the Dale and how the the um, trolls at the not the trolls but the the uh, dwarves of the Lonely Mountain were known for making things. I remember that. And yeah. they made toys for the children. So we basically have dwarves making toys in the northern regions. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's not elves. <laughs> right, exactly. But, but I really, found that funny. So really is the king under really the mountain <laughs> Santa? <laughs> <laughs> that could have been Santa. This is wonderful. This is great. I hadn't caught talk. that. I hadn't caught that either. Now, now we, we look at the uh, <laughs> second, third of the novel here and this would be the venture into the the misty mountains where mm-hmm. they go into and they fight with some spiders and the big crux of the book is when uh, bilbo gets separated and winds up encountering Gollum. a mm-hmm. creature and yeah, an object precious. So Jamie, I'm going to start with you on this. What what's what in this section? We're going to probably let's end this. <coughs> let's end this one right before um, they leave. Well, right as they're leaving uh, Boren's house. So let's take this from the Misty Mountains to Boren. Well, well, my biggest thought from that section is I agree with Gollum. Bilbo cheats. That's not a riddle. That's not a riddle. What's in my pocket? Right? <laughs> what does it have? What does it got in its pockets? <laughs> What's I mean, in its pockets? It, yeah, it's che- that's not a riddle. It cheats. <laughs> I just I get I get frustrated with Gollum at the same time he does. But but that's good storytelling, right? Yep. And it's just it's a, you know it's interesting. And Bill and Bilbo's willing to cheat. He doesn't go back on it and try to come up with another riddle. It's like, well, no, you're right. No, he just rolls with it. like no. It's like he's like I'm getting out of this. And I think at this point along the book, Bilbo has realized I am so outmatched. I'm going to have to, you know, take every advantage I can get. Yeah. You know, with with these uh, with the, the dwarves and with the goblins and with Gollum. Um, Sam, what's your thoughts through this section? What's uh, some of your favorite things? You know, obviously leading up to us getting to to actually see Gollum. You know, we also get to meet um, Elrond. So it's our first time during that that part of the book that we see Rivendell, and it starts laying that groundwork that I think that you know Tolkien obviously carries on into Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what I find really interesting once we get to the part with Gollum is if you read. With the way that Bilbo finds the ring, you know, if you look at the way that Tolkien wrote it, it says he put the ring in his pocket almost without thinking. 
And then at another point it says the ring felt very cold as it quietly slipped on his groping forefinger. It's almost if, as if the ring is making these decisions. Yeah, that's one thing I, I feel too. The ring is a personality through these yes. books, and the ring has very intense relationships with various characters. I but go I'm, back and forth on it. I do. I don't want to be the wet blanket here, but <laughs> I'm wondering how much of this is intentional. I really do, because it feels like he just wrote The Hobbit, and then it's like, maybe I'll write some more books. This ring, that was a good thing in that book. I should make more of that. You know, I, wa- I wonder how much of it really was intentional. Well, here's the thing you've got to remember with this book. It was published in 37, right? Well, the copy that I have is based on the third edition from 1966, okay? Over the course of that time, Tolkien was constantly adding to the story. Wait More special editions? Yes. So what you're telling so, me? So, so long before George Lucas ever thought about Tolkien this. Tolkien was George Lucasing this thing up. You better believe it. He was special editioning this thing. And actually, the one chapter that probably changes the most, and I would love to see the original part of this, is the, the part with Gollum. I would love that part to see the original. Was changed to match up to more that. with Lord of the Rings. So, do we release only the original edition, or do we make the original <laughs> edition available with the special editions? I mean, come on here, let's have a modern fanboy debate. Here. I would here love to see that the yeah. original chapter. I would love to, and and yeah. supposedly there were changes all the way through. I mean, there were little misspellings here and there, and and that Tolkien got really angry because they they put elfish instead of elvish and dwarfish instead of dwarvish. You know, he got mad at those little teeny things like that. But then he kept doing revisions, hmm. uh, and so it was just one of those things that you've got to wonder. <laughs> so, all right, guys, this isn't something new. <laughs> okay, I interrupted you, Dwayne. You were Go going ahead. somewhere. What Go were you, ahead. Where were you going? No, I was just going to uh, say, you know. I think also, you know, my favorite scene, of course, I mean, has to be the finding of the ring and the the, uh, the interaction of the ring, you know, with with Bilbo and and Gollum. But now the the passing through Rivendell is a you know just phenomenal as you're introduced because we've already got the hobbits, we've already got the elves so now we're in or the dwarves now we're introduced to the elves, elves. In, in rivendell and just the beauty and purity and you know i know at various times it's you know the the houses of the holy or the houses of the the homely you know it's been translated various ways you know uh, printed various ways and you know something that is holy is something being used for the purpose of which it was created, you know, which which is the elves, you know, a very pure, very natural uh, thing, and, and you know they have almost eternal life. When you look at in these in these books, you know, uh, Elrond is what thirty five hundred years old. Mm-hmm. Um, Legolas, you that's know, a lot of candles find, on that's, a cake. That's a lot of candles. <laughs> on cake. You know, Legolas, we find out I think is what fifteen to seventeen hundred, you know, somewhere around those ranges. So. Just that purity and, you know, what can you accomplish? What can you learn in that span of time? And with that, we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back and discuss the last third of the novel and our negatives. And yes, there are some negatives. And welcome back. And now we're going to talk about the the third act of The Hobbit where we have... 
uh, dragons, orcs, and werebears. Oh, my. And uh, so we so we start off, after we leave um, Elrond and Rivendell, we get to my favorite werebear, Bjorn. Yes. And, any, any thoughts here? Bjorn was kind of uh, stuck out to me as, as an odd fixture in this story. I mean, you have all of these fantastical, mythical creatures. Didn't really see the need for a werebear. <laughs> Uh, whether whether you got the werebear stare or not, um, yeah. But Bjorn was neat. I mean, he he accomplished a means to an end. You know, he was he was a, uh, I guess, an important step to get them to Lake Town. And Sam, what's your thoughts here? Well, you know, with with Bjorn, you know, it's one of those things that you know when you do look at adaptations, and I know we'll talk about those. He is one of the the parts that are that is left out uh, because, as far as like you said, getting us to where we need to get. You know, he is kind of a stopover point. He's mm-hmm. an interesting point. He's an interesting character. But, you know, I can understand maybe why he's not been placed into some of the adaptations just because for story purposes. So you're saying he may be Tom Bombadil the sequel. Ooh, there we go. Captain Plot Device is what he is, really. <laughs> okay. Uh, what's, what, um, I'm, I'm going to throw this out there, and whoever wants to jump on it. Uh, when, they, when they come into Lake Town, what's your uh, uh, guys' views on the adventures there? We got another jerk running things. I mean, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of bad people in this, in this, in this book, you know? The, the Elf King's a jerk. The dwarves are mean to Bilbo. The the, the uh, mayor of uh, of Lake Town is a just a greedy, selfish dude. I mean, yeah. And uh, and Thorne hasn't even taken his heel turn yet. So I mean, not wanting to jump on the uh, you know a, a bandwagon to get anything stirred up, but I mean, all of the different races interacting in these books, and they all have prejudices one to another. Uh, that that seems to be very clear. You know the. Uh, the, the dwarves with the with the people they they just don't dig them being in town and and you know of course they wound up being thrown into prison and Bilbo uses the one ring to break them out in what would be a really really great amusement park ride and Sammy what's your <laughs> thoughts on the uh, the barrel ride down the river and where they wind up well you know as far as what you're mentioning with kind of the the races and and their own prejudices and things along those lines what i find interesting is especially at you know we keep getting hints that they originally liked each other and they got along you know the the dwarves and the the people of dale and then the people of lake town they all kind of work together together, yes and and i think very much like like in real life as soon, like I said, as soon as something goes wrong, mm. you know, everyone starts pointing fingers Point at finger. the other. Yes. And I think that's what we see here. And, and it makes the characters very real. And I thought it was interesting, too. Like the, when we get to Lake Town, we see, we see some more of that really interesting world building. Because mm-hmm. once we're in Rivendell and in the, and in the, the Elves of Mirkwood, you kind of got functionally immortal characters. Mm-hmm. And then when we get to Lake Town, the dwarves like Thorin and, and Balin can remember living in the Lowly Mountain and the people of Lake Town are, are have such short lives that they think it's maybe myth if there were ever dwarves that lived there. And I just thought that was this really, I thought, just to me, that really stuck out as an interesting detail how different the races were and how this thing that Thorin was like, he just remembers it, you know? Exactly. The mythology, yeah. you know, how quickly mythology can form, you know, even, you know, a hundred years ago to us could be two to three generations removed from yourself you know to your parent grandparent great-grandparent um so you know 
those are just legend, well, so to speak. Well, I think it's a situation if you think about even with with us, a little over a hundred years ago, you know, you didn't have airplanes and you didn't have this. I mean, so imagine someone from the you know those early nineteen hundreds seeing what we have now. I mean, it would it would seem like you know a future world or or something that that we could never believe that we didn't have. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely believable within a human lifespan that, you know, obviously we're not going to be able to remember yeah. what the dwarves or the elves or those types of characters would have. I just, I just felt like it was like the really, like a really strong thing that it's not, it's yes. not just this one scene. I thought it was really emblematic of Tolkien's skill as a mm -hmm. world builder. It's just this little throwaway little paragraph just says so much about the world that he's, uh, that he's telling a story in. Yeah, it was uh, wonderful there. And like you said, what would we do without the internet? How did we ever exist before? I've got to have Dr. Google to consult at a, a moment's yeah, notice. Before <laughs> having a dictionary and library in our palm. And uh, we went to a pizza joint in a, in a little town across the way today, and there was a payphone. And honest to goodness, payphone on a pole that worked with the handle and the number pad. And my kids were like, what is that? I said, this is what dad had to use to call mom and check in when I needed to stay out late. I had to find one of these. And then I had to make sure I had a quarter in my pocket to use it. And they were like, you didn't have a cell phone. You couldn't just pick it up and dial at any moment. And, you know, now how far that is removed. Now, the uh, the finding of the the door uh, once they once they take the barrel right down the river, the finding of the door, which is you know almost invisibly carved into the stone, and the confrontation with Smaug and uh, and Bilbo, the thief, as we learn, he has uh, kind of uh, adapted himself to. What what are you guys' uh, view on the dragon uh, per se in mythology and in this? Um, instance uh, resting on his pile of jewels, Sam. You know, I think as far as the the, the character of, of Smaug goes, you know, um, I mean, in my head, you know, I guess I see, and, and like I said, I know we'll talk later about this, but you know, I see the animated version, and that's what I see in my head as I as I read this book, and, and it ties into that. You know, Tolkien describes uh, you know Smaug's breathing as you know a uh, the rumbling of a large pot and the the purring of a gigant, gigantic tomcat. You know, <laughs> and so you know in my head I'm thinking you know this is this is a very interesting looking dragon, and it doesn't fit what I what I guess when you think of. Chinese mythology, or if you think of uh, Sir Gawain, uh, you know, those types of, of, you know, the King Arthur, you know, after the dragons type of thing, he doesn't really fit, you know, what I guess I envision. Uh, he, he's a much more kind of broad character, I think. Yeah, much more larger than life, so to speak, yes. much more fleshed out. How we would imagine maybe something so much larger than us, even the breathing like you said, sounding like almost a machine, mm -hmm. you know, working. Jamie, what's your uh, uh, view of the confrontation there in the treasure chamber? We're not to the negatives yet. Okay. I will say that I, I enjoyed the interaction okay. between Bilbo and Smaug, but I can't say much more without dealing into the negative section. Okay. I, I will mention this because this kind of – 
this actually harkens back to chapter one, and this goes back to what we were thinking about, you know, what did Tolkien change as he went along? You know, in chapter one, there, there's a comment about dragons, and it says dragons cannot mend a loose scale hmm. on themselves. You know, and it feels a little foreshadowing because, you know, this is in that that chapter. That's where we see, you know, Bilbo mentions that large patch on, on Smaug's left breast that's as bare as the snail, as the shell of a snail. Yeah. So, you know, was Tolkien foreshadowing all the way back in chapter one leading us to this point? Yeah. So as uh, that interaction happens, Bilbo uses the ring to hide Smaug then is looking for him, can't find him, goes and attacks Lake Town. And um, the dwarves then run in and hold themselves up in the treasure room. And then, um, how, how did, I'm, I'm kind of at a miss because I listened to the audio version, um, a BBC audio version, so it was not unabridged, Jamie, thank you. Um, <laughs> how, did, how did they wind That's up? That's where all the snide remarks have come from on this episode. <laughs> How did they wind up getting Some back, of us to, read uh, the book. back to Lake Town to warn the people and to let uh, – is it Dane the Bard or Bard the Dane? Bard. 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 Okay. Uh, no, about the vulnerable place on Smaug before the um, – the, um, Tolkien tells us that the, the, the birds could speak to the men of Dale. It was the thrush. Oh. And so there was – it was a thrush. A the thrush was listening. The thrush went – with the news yeah, I went back and told okay, Bill the last second. The, the, no, the told, dwarves told were holed the last up. Second. Yeah, so the dwarves were holed up. Then they go back and tell Bard. Bard, with the arrow, takes down yeah. Smaug. And then you have the confrontation of the Battle of Five Armies. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and then this is things really pick up. The, the pace picks up here. We have the, the battle. The, they re- resolve things very quickly. And then Bilbo goes home. And... We're not to the negatives yet. I don't want to be mean. We'll get there. Okay, yeah. well, well, let's go ahead <laughs> we'll get and wrap up. So what we see happening there at the end, um, you know, they distribute treasure in the treasure room. And uh, Bilbo winds up with a coat of mithril, mithril silver mail. Uh, that we see again later. That we see again later. And, yes. uh, you know as payment for his services but along be- with before, before we take a break and come back with negatives, I do have a quick question for you guys. Okay. Were you still mad at Thorin? Thorin was kind of a jerk when he, uh, when they got the treasure. He's like, forget those. Guys. Went there to toss him off the wall. I mean, the, the Bilbo, he, he's really angry at Bilbo, and you know, you know, when he finds that he has the Arkenstone, he's giving the Arkenstone away. He threatens to throw him off the wall, and is, you know, doesn't want any part of him. And then at the last second, he's about to die. He takes it all back, and I'm like, I don't know. I'm still kind of mad at you, bro. But now the Arkenstone was the. Uh, like his familial stone, wasn't it? It was yeah. his like family crest. But I don't think in the book been lost. it was really given all of that all of that that, that importance. Was it? Yeah. it was, you know, it mentioned the Arkenstone and, and you know, he was talking about, you know, Thora was talking about it, it and he keeps searching, you know, but it, it it almost doesn't have you know and we'll we'll get to those types of things, uh, but it doesn't have the weight that you would expect for him to get that angry and threaten to throw Bilbo off of out of the front gate essentially and and down into to the running river. So yeah, I, I was still kind of mad at Thor and I'm like I don't know, pal, you're getting off the hook pretty easy here. So, but well, I tell you what, let's uh, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and um, I guess we'll be mean to a book we love.
And welcome back to Nerds of the Round Table. Um, I'm going to go ahead and start off this negative discussion because I think I have the uh, least amount of issues in the room. I'm thinking uh, some of my buddies here are going to have to uh, hit some uh, therapy or something. But now the only thing that I really struggled with this book, I mean, which is, you know, like was written in, you know, before 1937 apparently went through numerous rewrites as he was finding the story, finding the characters, is the language that we speak today is not concurrent with the language spoken in the book. Even, you know, not when you get to the different races and things, but just the conversation of, of character to character goes at a different pace. It has different, um, you know, segments there. So once I got past the language I was able to really adapt into and flow right into this world. But the language being such a strong part of this book was, you know, of vast importance to be able to jump into. So I think I'm going to uh, go ahead and tackle Jamie first with his negatives. And because uh, he's smiling at me pretty big across the table. <laughs> And well, maybe he'll, uh, you know, take time into consideration. Well, Sammy's got a nice little uh, set of notes over there for his negative section too. So we'll, 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 maybe we'll just tag in and out on this one. Go, but, go for it, go for it. But uh, I, I think for me, the the biggest thing is the my biggest complaint overall for the Hobbit is really just the the tonal shift from the Lord of the Rings to this book. It's it's jarring, and for me, I can't. It, it was it was like a mental exercise to keep reminding myself that that you know this is the same kind of world and that it's the same thing that's going on here and it was just this is this is a sillier world you know and it feels different i, I just had to keep reminding myself that this was the, the, the children's version of lord of the rings it was no, no, it was but, tough all well, the way and, through the book and i think that's what it comes here. down to though i'm gonna jump in here and box back and forth with you guys a little bit, if you don't <laughs> mind uh, because i mean and i just adore this and this was my introduction into you know um i mean you know this was 37 lord of the rings was published in 55 i mean so you're looking at what's that 17 years difference there i mean so of course how much has the language and but it's not just the language it's the it's the feel of the book it feels like the hobbit is a book written for you know for small children well, and i think that's what it comes down to is audience you know the hobbit yeah. to me was written as a children's book but the, but there's <laughs> but there aren't really a lot of indicators because there's so many of the characters carry over. Gandalf is yes. in Lord of the Rings, and so Bilbo is Elrond, Elrond and Bilbo. Yes. And, yes. and it's just hard for me to like to, to kind of like do the algebra on okay, how do I how do I fit these things together, you know? And I kept struggling every time. Like Elrond would show up, I'm like thinking, okay, which which Elrond? What Elrond are we talking about? You know? And it was just it was tough for me to keep these things together, you know. It was the, the the tonal shift between the Lord of the Rings, the feel of those novels and this one. It was hard for me to deal with. And this is also a Lucasian problem, if you look if you want to take this with the George Lucas as well. Um, you know, the the original trilogy, the holy trilogy, was written, you know, more to a teenage young adult audience, whereas the prequels were written to Lucas's children, you know, and it was like his his new set of kids, you know, they were all like seven, eight and nine when these movies, you know, were made again. So, of course, Tolkien's children had grown up by the time of the Lord of the Rings. So, you know, you go from a children's novel almost to a young adult novel. And Sam, what's on uh, your mind here? You, you know, I think when I first was going through this, you know, my biggest problem is, you know, we spend so much time. I mean, we spend 13 chapters of a what 17 18 chap 19 chapter 
novel putting emotional weight to these characters mm -hmm. okay we we get you know with the ex most of the dwarves you know are, are kind of glossed over but we, we we care about them we care about thorin we care about gandalf we care about bilbo and then you get up but they're you know as protagonists aren't defeating the major antagonist mm -hmm. okay we've put all of this weight on these characters who now have nothing to do with defeating Smaug. They're hiding in the tower. Yeah. We have chapter 14 introduces Bard. A guy we had just met. We've just met, and all of a sudden, yeah. this man shoots a black arrow and kills Smaug. And, and virtually off screen. Yes. I mean, like they find out about it secondhand. Well, even in the book, it, it, it's played up as, oh, here's what happened if you were wondering. Yeah. You know? Well, think about the weirdness of, you know, Bilbo's our main character. He's the hero of the whole story. He basically sleeps through the Battle of Five Armies. Yes. He gets knocked out and misses the whole thing and has to get it retold to him later. Well, that's a weird thing to do in a book. But no, you know, the thing is, we're this. all retold the Battle of the Five Armies because we only get the beginning, the opening salvos mm -hmm. of that battle. Then the next thing you know, it's over. It's over. Yeah. yeah. You know? it, isn't this also a thing that Lewis does in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? The, the battle uh, with the witch happens off scene and is retold in mm -hmm. in uh, you know a later like oh it. this is what went on while you guys were over there you learn mm -hmm. it second hand yeah yeah, yeah I, I think it's a weird story structure thing there's there's some story structure here and like and like and a lot of the book just feels like a, a travelogue like things just keep happening and there's not like a real th a real thematic through line through the whole book like things just happen this is the thing that happens as they were going to the mountain and it's just once they get to the mountain none of it matters i wonder if this is also a side effect of tolkien and Lewis being in World War One and dealing with, you know, actually seeing the horrors of battle firsthand, and instead of subjecting their readers to it or reliving uh, it themselves, kind of looking away, from look it. away from it and saying, "Oh, well, this is Maybe. kind of what went on." Because I mean, I tell you, I, yeah. I found a very interesting book uh, called uh, a, uh, "A Hobbit: A Wardrobe and the Great War," and it talks about the impact that World War One had societally on the hobbit and the narnia yeah. books it was very very interesting and telling on how you know these guys went with their friends with their schoolyard chums and were essentially just about the only two to come out much less come out in one piece well, you know, that would explain you know why we are just we are just kind of told the, of Thorin's death, of Keely and Feely's death. Yeah. We don't really, you know, in in modern literature, there would have been a whole section on the death of Thorin. That would yeah. have been a chapter in itself. Yes, but to do that, maybe to the side, you know, could have been. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point. Yes, uh, I do. I do. I mean, like going back to story structure. I mean, the the randomness of things that don't impact the actual adventure. You know, like, what really did it matter that they went to see Bjorn? Mm -hmm. What did it really matter that they took that pit stop in Rivendell? Right. What did it really matter that they fought? Well, they didn't fought. They got almost eaten by the trolls. I mean, that, it's just things that happen. There's not a lot of impact or weight to those things, and a lot of anything going forward. They just they're just random things that happened on the way. And it just it just feels like there could have been a better way to tell the story, to have the adventure matter, have a more of a through line through the whole whole book. Well, just just think though, you know, every dungeon master today playing Dungeons and Dragons, this, this is exactly what they do. Yeah. You have now walked into a castle. 
you know, I mean, that's exactly what what this feels like. And and I think you can you can see where I think Tolkien's work kind of set the bar for fantasy as, as it continued through, whether it be fantasy movies, fantasy gaming, fantasy books. You know, this kind of set the bar and, mm. and kind of played on those tropes to to kind of create you know the style that 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 fantasy should be. Yeah, now Tolkien, you know, got you guys know he he wrote these books to create a mythology for his mother England, which he says, you know, was sorely lacking. You know, they had kind of adopted King Arthur from France. They had kind of adopted Beowulf from Scandinavia and had just kind of was setting on those fostering them and he was really trying to establish a mythology with you know with the elves with the trolls the goblins the orcs and all of this great stuff so yeah he was essentially the first dungeon master <laughs> essentially writing, yeah writing these yeah. things but i i've got two more complaints amy i don't want to oh, go for the whole it go, go for it go okay for it. um one of my big ones is like I said, I, 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 I've, since I, since I've begun writing fiction myself, it's kind of jaundiced, like, or at least sh- shaded how I read fiction now. And I'll just, I'll just I'll ask it as a form of a question. Other than Bilbo, how many fleshed out characters are in this book? Well, you don't. They're not. There's none. In, in, in honesty, <laughs> you know, it, when you think about t- you know a, a story, fiction writing, you have your character, and then the character goes through a, an arc. Yeah. You know, the character starts the story as one thing, ends as a different person, grows in one way or the other. Bilbo is the person in this book that does this. Everybody else pretty much remains exactly the same. Yeah. Gandalf is still Gandalf. You know, there's a new king under the heel, but it's it's. And it's, you know, the next dwarf that, that takes the place. Who happened to show up at the end of the Yes, at, at, <laughs> at the Battle of the Five Armies, who just yeah. shows up, where everybody shows up. Yeah. <laughs> but, but there's just, like, we don't understand anybody's motivations. We don't right. know anybody's doing anything. We don't really get to know anybody. I mean, for, uh, I mean, I know that, like, having Bilbo, like, make it not be an unlucky number was a nice, clever thing for the, you know, a plot device. But there were too many dwarves. I mean, far too many dwarves. We couldn't know, get to know any of them. If there'd been right. like just three or four dwarves, we could have gotten to know them. Conversations they could have had, events that could have been could have been had more power and meaning. Could have been, you know on on the way to the Lonely Mountain. So, and then um, as much as we praised uh, Tolkien for his world building, there's a couple of little flaws that annoy me world building wise. Um, Bjorn doesn't annoy me. He just doesn't fit. He doesn't. I mean, the rest of the, he, he's like he's a he's a creature from mythology in the midst of all these fantasy stuff. And then the big one for me is is Smaug. He doesn't fit the world. He's a he's a he's a fairy tale creature wandered into a fantasy story. He's got a he just he just feels like a completely different and, and even creature. in the story he's very out of place. He's a leftover. And even the people in the town, he's probably been up there asleep for a hundred years, and they really didn't even know there was a dragon up yeah. there. It, it just felt like he was from a, di- a whole different genre of story. Yeah. Like it was just this weird mashup thing that was happening, and I, I, I just it kind of like kind of bothered me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was definitely a leftover from a different age. Yeah, that's yeah. a nice way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Nice spin. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Sam, what you want to uh, hit us with some of your uh, gripes with the? Uh, well, you know, I think like I said, that was probably my biggest ones is the idea of. <laughs> Like I said, we, we put all this emotional weight on these characters, 
And then they they have nothing to do with kind of defeating the antagonist of the book itself. You know, it's kind of like playing a video game till you get to the boss battle and then you walk off and somebody else takes care of it for you. (laughs) You know, you've put all this work in to get to this. You want to fight the boss, you know. And I think as a reader, you know, you know, we want to see who will it be? Will it be Bilbo that, that does this? And then once again, we have the character of Bard. You know, and I know it, it harkens back to that idea that they were talking about there that the heroes you mean, you were mean, not there. You mean Proto Aragorn? Yes, Proto Aragorn. That would be it. You know, Proto Aragorn. <laughs> um, yep, that'd be exactly it. Uh, but so we didn't have those heroes, you know. And yeah. so to me, it was almost like Tolkien was trying to bring that back, but but it took away from our characters. Yeah. Yes. Um, or, or maybe Bard could have joined them earlier in the journey. True. Um, I agree. But just having him come in so late in the story was a problem. You know, and and I think with the Battle of the Five Armies, the the biggest problem I I have with that is just in the way that it's structured. You know, I think most stories we have, you know, the the, the Robert Frost, Two Roads Diverge in the Wood type of thing, and then everybody comes back together at the end. We see that, I think, executed much better in Lord of the Rings. So we have all the characters we were introduced to, the eagles and the goblins and the wargs and you know, all of these all of a sudden are showing right back up at the end for, for just a big throwdown, essentially, yeah. you know, that that. And so but it's not woven in as tightly as I truly think it could have been. And I, I think that a lot of our complaints just stem from the nature of how the thing was created. I mean, he was he was writing it for his kids, you know, telling them stories. And if you're entertaining children, you'd want the big giant bear dude to show back up and you'd want every I mean. So, I mean, I, th- I think a lot of the flaws just came from the nature of its creation, of how it came in. Some of the things that annoy us, well, some of us. <laughs> some of us are more forgiving. And, you know, this was also, you know, with it being written for his children, um, I, I heard in, uh, someone talking about it in a neat way. You know, this is almost like a to-be-read-per-chapter-per-night to kids. You know, so that, that could be where we're coming from. So we're going to take a break. And welcome back. We're done being mean to the Hobbit, and so now we're going to get to our end of the show segments. And before we get to the the usual ones, we've got one that's very specific to this episode. We're going to talk about the adapt adaptations. And uh, Sammy wanted to go first. All right, um, I wanted to go first because actually. The animated Hobbit was actually my first intro into the world of Tolkien, so it wasn't the books themselves. Um, you know, I watched the you know that that cartoon numerous times growing up, and to me that was that was the story, that was the Hobbit, and so it was reading the books that that fleshed that out because I mean what you're doing in the animated you're taking. All of this book, you know, 19 chapters, and putting it into pretty, pretty much 75 to 78 minutes worth of animation. So you've got the bare bones of this story. Um, that's where I found it interesting with the design of Smaug. You know, he, he looks like a cat, a cat's head on a dragon. And so when, when Tolkien described it as a purring tomcat, when you watch that animation and, and you see Smaug, it looks like a cat's face. It's very feline. So, I mean, and that's one thing that just throws me off every time I look at it. And I guess maybe that disconnects even from the movie for me and then the book also. It's just I can't get this picture of a cat's head wow. on top of uh, Smaug's body. <laughs> <It's>, 
I, I've never seen that the animated. Oh, oh, you've, you've got to see it. I mean, you j- just for the appreciation. I, I've, I've only seen it once and many years ago, but it was very, very good. And uh, I, I vaguely remember Smaug through there, but that the, the uh, Rankin Bass mm-hmm. was the uh, the guys who, who yes. do all the Christmas, you know, the Frosty the Snowman and such, Rudolph. And uh, you know, so it's a very stylized animation. And even their take on Gollum is really interesting um, mm. on that. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of bleeds over into the Lord of the Rings cartoon mm-hmm. uh, done by Ralph Bakshi. Which um, they get very experimental in that one. There's some weird animation some in that really one. Yeah, I've, I've seen that. Yeah. But this isn't in Lord of the Rings uh, adaptations. It's the, uh, the Hobbit, yes, the Hobbit. Uh, adaptations. Uh, so, yeah, the, uh, the animated – as. Although my experience with it is much less than yours, Sammy, it's a, a very good adaptation. But I you, really, but you, you watched the you listened to the BBC audio drama. I really, yeah, that's what I was uh, leading into. I really enjoyed the uh, the audio dramas. Uh, being a, a driver, I'm on the road a lot, so you know my I have one earphone in or you know something going on the radio at all times, um, and it's you know audio books, podcasts, um, music, so. Yeah, the the BBC audio dramas for this, I mean, and, and I love the audio dramas because they don't just speak like we speak in day to day. They're having to tell you what they're doing. Oh no, a goblin just run through the door. I'm so scared. I'm running around the room, and, and you know, and then you hear all the clutter and clatter from that. And just the creativity of that is so brilliant. And they had a, a wonderful cast, even with uh, Ian Holm. I believe playing Bilbo at one point, and uh, you know Bill Nighy being in there, and and other great great British actors, probably all have been in Edgar Wright movies, but <laughs> you know just the great great British uh, actors uh, that that you have there associated you know, with the BBC, uh, the British Broadcasting Company. Jamie, what's uh, what's uh, your thoughts on some of the adaptations? Well, really, the only adaptation that I've I've I listened to a, I listened to a different BBC audio drama than you did. I, I liked it. It had a, a single narrator, and it was good. But um, the the most famous adaptation is obviously the movies. Mm. And um, I, I'm gonna be meaner to the movie than I was to the book. <laughs> I I saw I saw I'm I'm a Tolkien fan, right? So I had to go see it. Mm. I went and saw it. I wanted my money back. And I was so mad. I, I, the popcorn even tasted bad at that point. I was so <laughs> oh. angry. I, honest to goodness, I've never left a theater so angry. Wow. I was angry at this movie, and I refused to see the second two. I, I've wow. never seen wow. one. Wow. You know, I think what the movies had going for them is, you know, I think that the one thing Peter Jackson did well, you know, and, and obviously had to help from other people, is casting. Hmm. You know, I really think that Martin Freeman made a great Bilbo. You know, I think, you know, obviously we have got Lord of the Rings before this, but, you know, sir, no one else truly could have played the character of Gandalf uh, besides Sir Ian McKellen. I mean, he was a perfect casting. Perfect. Um, and then just New Zealand itself is is Middle Earth. I mean, it's, to me, it's exactly what when I imagine Middle Earth, that the, the lush environments, I mean, that Tolkien describes New Zealand fits it. Yeah, the uh, the movie. I'm I'm sort of with Jamie there. I only seen the first movie. I seen the first movie and then I was done. Um, I love the Peter Jackson adaptations of the Lord of the Rings. They stayed very true to the books, even though they weren't page by page adaptations. The heart of the book was there. I feel like he lost the heart of the Hobbit in this. Um, I don't know if it was stretching into three movies. 
I don't know if it was just uh, you know the um, retaking uh, the taking of it from Guillermo del Toro because Peter Jackson was only supposed to be the producer on this. Del Toro was supposed to write and direct, but Peter Jackson had you know played in that sandbox so long. It seems to me that he felt like he could create the sand, and you know he did not have that. Uh, I feel creative. Uh, tension there now it being stretched into three movies was also a a problem with me you know guys franchise movies doesn't have to be trilogies the last movie of a franchise movie does not have to be split into two parts there's not nine hours of story there's in not the nine exactly. hours of story here i mean if you would have taken this and divided it up into two movies you have bilbo leaving the shire going acquiring the ring having the confrontation with Bjorn the werebear at the end <laughs> and then picking it up with them traveling into Lake Town. Confront you know, the escape from Lake Town as a first action segment in the second movie. The confrontation with Smaug is the big action piece in the middle. And then wrapping it up with the Battle of the Five Ar- Five Army and everyone going home would have been phenomenal, but just dragging it out and, and fleshing out these characters and even introducing characters that were never in the book and had no place in the book. So so I guess you're referring to Legolas then. Um, and yeah, Legolas, Galadriel, um, I mean and well what what happened was to be able to stretch that into three movies you know, Jackson and Philip Jackson and, and, and Philippa Boyles and all those, they actually had to pull from the Cimmerillion. Mm-hmm. Okay. And to be to be able to stretch that out. So when you get Galadriel in there, you know, that is mentioned in the Cimmerillion. Uh, when you you don't get Legolas mentioned exactly, but we're told that Thranduril, his father, is king, you know, in Mirkwood during that period of time. And we know Thranduril is Legolas' so father. So he could have possibly there. been there, but Tolkien didn't really put him into the story. So I think in order to stretch those movies, yeah. they really had to, to take some creative license. And I see Jamie shaking his head <laughs> like, oh my gosh. You know, I'm not. I de- don't regret not watching these movies now. <laughs> Yeah. I'm not defending. I am simply explaining why. <laughs> yeah, and you have to, you know, you've got it, – it just kind of – it doesn't really expand the world to me. Right. It shrinks the world because instead of having – It just gave him more stuff to film. Well, it gave him more stuff to film. But, you know, if, instead of having the characters that were given him in the book and maybe fleshing out Dane a little bit more – you know, the bard, the bard, the dame, whatever, a little bit more would have been nice because he was a, a casting character, which we'll come to shortly. He, he owed Orlando Bloom a favor. I mean, come on. <laughs> and Pirates was done. Pirates was They done. thought. Um, so, you know, you had to bring in people from these other movies that, uh, you know, just really didn't fit. So, you know, I think we all had a, a little bit of an issue with the – uh, the movie adaptations, and hopefully we will. Uh, I, I hate to see Hollywood remaking stuff, but maybe we need a remake. Well, there are uh, talks. Adele's they story. cannot remake these already. They're too good. There are the Lord talks. of the Rings ones, not the Hobbit ones. They, they need to leave those alone. They're good. No, the Lord of the Rings. Uh, that's what I'm saying. The Lord of the Rings were great, but remake the Hobbit. Okay. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. I misunderstood. No. You. No. There has remake. been a remake lot of talk that HBO wants to get into Tolkien's world. And they are wanting to do a show based upon 
Tolkien's writings. Well, that so could be I don't I don't know which way it'll go if they'll remake or what they'll do. Uh, hopefully they'll they'll maybe get into more of the first age, mm. second age type of stuff. So as we're talking about the pluses and minuses and the great things and the bad things about these movies or about this book, movies and audio dramas, let's take a look at our reward or awards and see where uh, we all stand on that. Sam, being our guest, you have came armed, my friend. You have came yes. prepared. What is your award? So I, I have created an award. I have called this the Character of Convenience Award, and I will basically give that to Bard because truly he was a character of convenience. He was in the right place at the right time, in this case, in the right chapter, to be able to end Smaug, though we know nothing about him. And never learn anything about him. And never learn anything else about him. Yes. All right. I'm going to jump in here now with uh, the uh, favorite character, uh, well, my favorite scene, so to speak, in the book. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and bite the bullet and do the obvious scene the the gaining of the ring by bilbo uh, riddles the, the riddles in the dark the uh, escape the you know the creepiness of Gollum really is portrayed and really lets you know how much this ring has messed with him over the years it's a great scene I, I, as it talks yeah. about Gollum getting closer to him and sitting beside him like i got uncomfortable reading it i was feeling yeah, real yeah i mean just just the weirdness yeah. of him the uncomfortableness and just the insanity there and the urgency of getting out. It's great. Well, that, that, and the entire time Gollum's wondering out loud, you know, I wonder how he'll taste. Yeah. Will, will he taste good? Will he not? Will he be, you know, yeah, squishy? Will he? Creepy. Oh, <laughs> great. Okay. And, and for my award, I want to give it to the favorite character not named Bilbo. And I'm going to give a pity award to Mr. Bomber. The fat dwarf. Um, he just gets mocked for the whole thing, and his his weight is played for a joke. He is the poor fat guy that falls in the water, and is a, they have to drag his you know heavy carcass around through the woods. And then he wakes up, and he just wants to go back to sleep. You know, it just I, I feel for Bomber. Some of these characters are characters of cliche, aren't they? It's somewhat. Didn't they say his pony didn't even want to carry him? <laughs> Oh, this is great. Okay, now that our awards are <laughs> wrapped up, um, I, I'm going to have to uh, I'm going to have to just uh, voice a a worry I'm having here because I've, I've I'm seeing a little bit of a problem that may be more in these areas. I mean, I, I know Jamie, you have the addiction of of ranking things. You just cannot help yourself. I cannot. But I understand when when Sam comes in here too and we were discussing show format and how we were going to lay out here. He likes to rank things as well. So I think we need to have a rankers anonymous or All something right, happening yes. here. So let's go Please. ahead and start rankers the rehab. Rankers rehab. Um, hello, my name is Dwayne and I do not <laughs> rank things. So Sam, um, if if you would like to Go ahead and share. Get out your rankings. Okay. Um, well, and, and we did cooperate a little bit. We got on the same page. Yes. So. Uh, you know, we start, I started thinking about um, – I just did top five. I didn't know how far ranking – 
that uh, Jamie liked to get, but I just went top five. I'm sure he could probably get much deeper in, into his ranking. I had a rank of 11. Ooh, okay. <laughs> I'm only going with five, though. I just went top five. I just went top five. Uh, now, now I will be honest. I'm not a natural ranker. I've, I, I enjoy things for as they are, and I try not okay. to compare them to other things. Uh, but, you know, if I'm ranking my top five fantasy, you know, as far as fantasy novels, fantasy writing, and I cheat a little bit here, okay, because – Obviously, number – sh should I go from five down or start at one? What do you guys think? You're the guest, however you want to do it. Okay. Uh, we well, normally go worst to first. Worst to first? Yeah. Okay. So so I'm going to start on um, at number five, okay? And number five for me would be um, a lot of the work of Roald Dahl specifically. I love the BFG. You know, I think it's a great piece of fantasy. It brings in trolls. I mean, a troll sitting and drinking tea with the Queen of England. I mean, it's a wonderful visual. <laughs> all right. Uh, going down to my number four would probably be uh, Neil Gaiman's American Gods. Uh, it starts bringing in some mythology. And I love the idea of new mythology of America versus the old world mythology mm. and how those meet up. I just think those are amazing. Um as we go down to my number three, this is where, where I get really, really kind of uh, pat answers, right? So number three, C.S. Lewis, uh, Chronicles of Narnia, specifically Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is my favorite of the series. Uh, I never knew Magician's Nephew existed for a number of years. Uh, all I knew was Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, and so that one's still one of my favorites. Uh, number two, obviously we get into J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series. Mm -hmm. Uh, Prisoner of Azkaban, though, is my favorite. I love the introduction of Sirius Black. Because it's Black. the best. Yes, I love the introduction of Sirius Black. And I love Lupin. I, I, I can rank those two if you want. I, awesome. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure you can. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of anything dealing with werewolves and stuff like that in, in the horror genre. So the fact that, that we've got werewolves in Harry Potter, I can like that. And then obviously I, I cheated here. Number one is Tolkien. I mean, number one, hands down, whether it's Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, the new stuff that, that his uh, son Christopher has been putting out. It's just all amazing fantasy work. Yeah. it's. I mean, it really established – a great foundation for all of our future fantasy writers to to leap from. Jamie, what's your rankings? Sammy's system of his were obvious. Um, he's not going to like my ranking, I think. I thought those were very insightful. I thought they yeah. were very good. What are you saying? <laughs> anyway, so my number five is a book called 100 Cupboards by N.D. Wilson. And it's a young adult series, and it's fascinating. Um, uh, number four is The Wizard of Earthsea by Ursula K. Le Guin. It's just fabulous. Uh, I recommend it incredibly highly. Uh, number three is The Golem and the Genie by Helene Wecker. Um, everybody should read that. It's one of the greatest books, just period. Um, number two is Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn. It's a trilogy uh, that begins with The Dragon Bone Chair by Tad Williams. And you only think you've read a lot of words. These books, each one is a doorstop. And, of course, number one is Lord of the Rings. It is the best. Um, now, on my fuller list, Harry Potter was sixth. So it, ju it just missed the top five. So, yeah. That's my top five okay, those fantasy some, books slash series. Those are some great rankings, gentlemen. But you know there was one person who was not in this movie that we have to bring attention to. We have to pay homage and figure out what is the Keanu connection. Jamie. I, I trust that you've got this figured out. Well, we had to reach really hard last time for Valerian, but I've got one here. It's not not as quite as hard to reach. Okay. Okay, so 
I mentioned a few weeks ago on, on a different ranking that Keanu was in a movie called The Gift. Mm-hmm. Also in that movie was Kate Blanchett. Galadriel. Okay, Galadriel. I see that connection so there. We there. Go. Uh, Hugo Weaving. And I just lost on my own show. You just lost on your I own lost show. to our guest. <laughs> All right. The most and that goes back to one of your shows. That's true. The Our Matrix. very first podcast. The first, the, Matrix. the first posted episode. And how could you miss that, my friend? <laughs> um, yeah, Keanu's most epic adversary, Mr. Smith. And that was the Keanu Connection. That was the Keanu Connection. So now we are at our Keeping It 100 segment where we take 100 seconds to recommend uh, something to our co-host and our audience. Hopefully you guys will get something from this as well. So I've got my timer set on the phone here. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and turn it to our guest, Sam, to go first. All right. Let me know when you're starting. In three, two, one. All right. My recommendation is a graphic novel uh, that was originally a four-issue limited series called Time and Vine, and it's by Thomas F. Zoller. It was produced by IDW, and the I'm a sucker for time travel. Spoilers. Mm-hmm. And um, the main character, Jack Cadell, owns a winery, owns a B&B, but the whole premise is – there's a special type of wine that he has. Depending on the vintage, when you drink it, you travel back to that time period. Oh. So if you drink a vintage from 1929, you go back to 1929. Uh. If you want to see the moon landing, then you drink a vintage from 1969. So uh, I've read the first chapter so far. I, I'm in right away. Uh, it's been really fun. Uh, you know, Zoller does the writing and the art both. Uh, and he's a good guy. I got a chance to meet him a couple of times. So um, I would definitely recommend Tom and Vine. Awesome. And Did he do it? I'm sold. And he did. He was 37 seconds to spare. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to go next because mine, I'll tell you, I will only need about maybe not even 10 seconds to sell you on this. You're going to do something under time? I'm going to do something. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine that. So I'm going to press start on the timer, and I will sell you on a series I have recently gotten way into. The Man in Black fled across the desert, and the gunslinger followed. The, enough said right there. The Dark Tower series by Stephen King. Um, I just finished book two. I know it's about a seven-book series, but man, man. You cannot get any better than, um, you know, the the world moving on and the shadows of what we see today, and you know the the magic, the sorcery, the horror that Stephen King brings to that. Um, you know, the the first book, the the Gunslinger, introduces you to Roland. The second book, um, the Drawing of the Three, introduces three characters that uh, are essential to his quest to the tower, and. It just does not get any better than that for me. And I'm just going to leave it at that. And I'm going to have 50 seconds left. So, Jamie. I, I agree. The Dark Tower was number eight on my list. Just didn't make the top five. Oh, just didn't make the top five. <laughs> wow. So you even went that far. Okay. Okay. <laughs> send, send help. <laughs> okay, Jamie. I'm it's not ready. a gimmick. It's real. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to... I'm going to start the timer in three, two, one.
Okay, and I want to pitch this week uh, The Golem and the Genie. It was number three on my list. It's mm-hmm. by Helene Waker, and it's the first book in the series, and the second book isn't out yet. And the setup of the, the series is, is there's a literal golem and a literal genie that meet. And the golem is a lady that was created um, for, a, for a fellow who's coming to America. She gets lost, separated from the, from the guy. A genie was captured in the Middle East, and he was brought to America, and the golem and the genie meet, and they're both learning um, about each other, about late 18th century uh, New York City, and it's just fascinating, and it's just really compelling, and by the end, of, and there's a side plot that becomes the main plot by the end of the book, and it just grips you, and I can't wait for the second book to come out. <laughs> wow, that sounds great, and you know what, guys, we have done this all three in well under time, Jamie. You had about uh, 52 seconds left there oh, when you right. uh, stopped your pitch. So uh, wish I'd known that. Yeah, we could have, uh, and, and and even myself, we could have sold them uh, sold them a little bit more. Uh, you know, uh, like the you know the the Dark Tower series uh, that I've gathered and that I'm reading so far. I mean, it's just phenomenal. It gets how, weird. How things good. are. If if it gets weirder than it's already been, I mean, that's just going to be crazy. But you know, it's just phenomenal how he is able to take things that are familiar and twist them a little bit. You know, the old west. You know, and just twist them a little bit. And the, the genie and the golem sounds very interesting, as does yours, uh, Sam. So I know this was a, 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 a our first episode with the guest. I think we're going a little really bit long, but I think we uh, have really I think really the guest episodes hit, will go long. I think we've really hit some great points, and uh, and hope you guys have enjoyed. And uh, as always, Jamie, where can people find us? On Twitter, you can find us at Nerds2, and that is, of course, always with the K. What about Instagram, Dwayne? And on Instagram, we are also – we are actually at round roundtable nerds with the K, roundtablenerds2 on Instagram. So find us there. And it's also on our Gmail account. It's roundtablenerds at gmail.com. Yeah, so if you guys want to shoot us a, an email or something, please feel free. And also, we love reviews. Yeah, we, we'd love reviews. We've, we've got a couple of them posted up. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, five stars always. You know, we're on iTunes. We're Ruska. Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. Uh, you put me on the spot. Okay, I think I think that pretty <laughs> much covers it. So I mean, if you if you can if you're listening to us, you've obviously found us. So share the love, spread the word, and again, thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Sam, for uh, being our first uh, guest guinea pig. I mean, guest. Well, thank here. you guys for having me. I do appreciate it. Uh, hopefully, I'll get the opportunity to come back. Uh, we'll see. Okay, we would very much enjoy that. Uh, so hopefully, we'll have some more guests in the future. And Jamie. Take us out. Uh, Thanks for joining us on the show. We will see you again next time.